Welcome back to another episode of Imperfect. This week's guest is Clay Smelter. Clay is a man who owns himself, loves his story, and lives with purpose. He does this as a man, husband, father, teacher, basketball coach, author, speaker, and with his company, Purpose Infused Coaching. Clay has lived a pretty normal life following and doing what he was supposed to do. But at the age of 35, he sat on a couch next to his wife having a panic attack over a TV show. With everything going great around him, he still felt lost, floating, ashamed, and not where he expected himself to be in life at 35. There were two roads derived in the woods, and he chose the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. On this episode, we'll talk a lot about how he was divorced twice, what it means to be a macho man, creating that identity beyond who you thought you were supposed to be, and this idea of meeting the man you're supposed to be at Heaven's Gate and becoming the man that you're supposed to be and recognizing him. That will make a lot more sense when we dive into the episode, but I really hope you enjoy it. I got a lot of value out of talking to him, and I hope that you uh, really like this conversation. Welcome, Clay. Thank you for being here. So my first question that I ask all my guests is, if you were to have anyone over for dinner, dead or alive, who would it be and what would you cook for them? All right. Well, I thought about this a while and, and I've been asked this before. And my answer is um, the version of me that is on his deathbed. That's who I would eat dinner with. And here's the reason why is because I want to pick that dude's brain. And I think this goes back to something we're probably going to talk about a little bit later is at the end of my days, you know, I, 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 want, I want to know who that man is. I want to know what did he learn. I wanted to know what did he go through. We probably sit down and have our favorite meal. It was a nice big old steak dinner with a baked potato loaded up and everything, or maybe a sweet potato in there, you know, and some of that, some vegetables or whatever it would be. But we kind of cook all that together and, and just really have just a great conversation about looking at all the things that we've done. A big word for me is legacy, but it's like, what did I leave now versus what was left from him? And it's just the conversation that I would have with him would all be about centered around, well, what did you do to really be the man that you were meant to be? And to me, that's, I was trying to think of like a famous person, something like that. And I'm like, now, you know what, this, this picture of just the man I was, uh, that, that I was meant to be, or the man that I am on my deathbed, like I'm just so ingrained in looking at who is that person going to be. So if I could meet anybody, it really is that dude. That's who I want to meet. And so that, that point you made about legacy, I'm really interested in that because you said it's not the, I forget the exact wording that you said, but where you are now versus where you want to be. So what does that legacy kind of look like to you? To me, legacy always used to mean, what well, what is I going to leave behind? And I sat down with Tyler Jack Harris. He's out of South Carolina and, and really go check him out. He's awesome. And uh, I sat down with him out in Pittsburgh and he really was like, Clay, just kind of look at it like, you know, legacy. Yes. We always think about what do you leave behind? What's there? What's left money, thoughts, things like that. But he said, Clay, he goes, your legacy is what you do right now. It's you, you leave your legacy in the now. So, so what are you doing now to create your legacy later? And it's not what you're, it's not what you leave behind. It's what you leave now. And I'm like, dang. So that's really for me, what legacy has kind of turned into. And it's what can I do now talking with you, Luke, is to leave my legacy behind right now, not only for, for, for me, but for my kids, for my wife, for my family, for any man out there listening. And, and, and it is a spot that you or me have been in or is just out there like living life good or living life bad. You know, one of those It's just what can I do now in this moment right now 
to really leave it all on the field. And that's something that legacy has changed into me. Yeah. Like legacy is both a present moment and a future moment and a past moment. It kind of lives in all three tenses or, or dimensions, I guess. So I think that was really cool what you said in the sense of, you know, we all have our long-term approach to life, but really what we do now does have an impact on it. And we can make a legacy decision right now for the future. And like, that's something that I try to not get caught up into too much. Cause I, I do want to create a, a really cool future for myself, but I also want to live in the present. And I think a lot of young men feel this way when they think about entrepreneurship and, and their journey is that they have to do every moment hustling and they have to do every moment for the future. And I'm like, sometimes you can just live in the present and that can affect your legacy too. Like I sit down and I'll be like playing cards or, or a game with my parents. And I'm like, maybe this isn't towards the mission that I, I have for myself in terms of, you know, it's not building towards my business goals or my career goals, but it is still what I wanted to do in this moment. And that can still make my legacy happen. It doesn't take away from it. And I think too many times people get caught up in that. Correct. And I love what you said there. You said the hustle, the grind. Everybody talks about the hustle, the grind. Yes, you need to hustle. Yes, you need to grind. Yes, you need to go after it. But you also need to make sure that you take the time for you. Because we're, as men, we were always told, you know, serve, 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 go, 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 do, do, do. But the problem is, is when was I ever told to serve me? When was I ever told to do me? When was I ever told to do those things and take the time for me? But if you take the time for me, Luke, or if you take the time for you, Luke, dude, you're selfish. You're a selfish person. That's what people tell us. And it's like, no, 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 no. I need to be selfish in order to be selfless. I was in business there for a little bit with a business team. And they said that all the time. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what I don't get that. And once I started to really understand what that means and really build myself is when I started to really understand like, dude, like in order for me to be the best man that I can be, I got to take time for myself first to be the best husband. I got to do me first. And for my wife, my wife to be the best wife, she has to take care of her first. You can't take care of me to be the best dad I can be. I got to take care of me first. Cause if I was living like I was living at 35 floating along, I wasn't being the best version of myself for my kids. Why? Because I wasn't taking care of myself. That's where you can call it midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it. That's where that came into play. You know, that that's turmoil, that inner dialogue we have with ourselves. It's I got to put the oxygen mask on first before I go with anybody else. I think Adam Smith, I think it's an economist. Adam Smith has like a, has a quote about that is you have to serve your own self-interest first so you can make... It's something to do with, I think, the market. Like if you're happy in your career, then you can make, you know, that just makes more sense if you're selfish in your career. And I, I do agree with kind of like a lot of the premise of that quote. And if I'm not doing what makes me happy, I can't make other people happy. It's the same as me saying, if I don't love myself first, or if I don't love myself, I can't love other people. Or it's really hard to, to show that love to other people. So I do think there is like a grounded idea in that and that selfishness has a level of good to it. But, you know, Clay, before we go any further, why don't you kind of give a little bit of uh, about who you are? I love this question because a lot of times what I used to answer is, well, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, things like that. But here's who Clay Smelter is. I'm a man who owns himself, loves his story and lives with purpose. And what I do is I help people reveal their purpose and I help them actually clarify their life in order to be able to utilize and infuse that purpose in every single thing that they do. And I do that as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a coach, as a teacher, as an owner of purpose-infused coaching, which helps people do those things, as a leader of men, as a leader in the men's group. So I do all of those different things because I've clarified 
what my purpose is in life and why I'm here on earth. And, and that wasn't always the case. I'm 39 years old now, but 34 years ago at 35, I'm sitting on a couch right over here in my basement watching a Game of Thrones episode and completely having a panic attack over the scene that occurred. And I'm like, this is not what my life was supposed to be, man. This is not, you know, I was an athlete. I was, I was, I chased the major leagues for a long time that ended in, in my career in college. So I'm a high achiever, yet I'm on a couch in my basement, have a panic attack. And I'm like, dude, this is not what it was supposed to be. And it's not like things were going bad. You know, I'm just a regular dude that good things happen to and stuff like that. It was just internally, what was I doing? Where was I going? Who was I? What was my intention throughout the day? And the answer was nothing. There wasn't attention. It was just, I was just on a hamster wheel of life, spinning around and around and around, doing what everybody else told me to do. And, and it just wasn't working. Yeah. And what comes first to you? Because you said, love your story and find your purpose. Which comes first? Is it finding your purpose that makes you love your story or loving your story that makes you find your purpose? Well, the first one is owning my shit. That's the first one. So, and that that's what I own myself. I love my story and I live with purpose. Those three things right there is what my whole life is about. And in order to love my story, I got to own me. And I didn't for a long time. And that's why at 35, I was having a panic attack because I didn't own all of me. I didn't own my anxiety. I didn't own my anger at certain times. You know, it's not like I was an angry dude all the time, but when my button was pushed, I went from zero to 4,000. And that made me a little bit shameful. Anxiety made me shameful. Choices I've made in my life made me shameful. I'm divorced twice. Like that was shameful. You know, things like that, that bring this shame. And from that shame brings isolation to men, especially because we don't want to talk. We don't want to share. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to put it out there and be like, yo, listen, I hurt. I feel because we're supposed to be big, bad, tough. And at that point in time on my couch, and that, that created a, 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 an anxiety spiral, which I couldn't fix. So how was I going to go be a teacher, a husband, a father, a coach when I couldn't fix myself, which all of those positions go back to the manly part of providing, protecting and being a fixer. If I couldn't fix myself, how was I going to fix anybody else? How was I going to help anybody else? And that's where that internal clash of, of the Titans came together and just like, you know, it all came together. It all came ahead. And then it started coming out. And, and that's where in life, I had to get to a point there where I was like, enough is enough. And I think men, especially when you can see men change, when you can see something out in front, that's really, really good. Like, you know, that princess out in front, you're like, all right, yeah, that's, you know what, that's, that's it. Or something so bad that it makes us go, dude, something has to be different. And I think those two pieces really get men to, to, to move. Mine was the, this is that, that point where like something had to happen. This was, this was enough was enough. And that's kind of where I was at. Yeah. And you talked about kind of how you had a, had a drive and a mission to be in the major leagues. So that was like your initial purpose. And then you said you kind of found it again when you were 35. Was that kind of 15 years of not having a purpose or, or 30, 15 years of kind of like just trying to find your purpose? How did you kind of go from that major league dream to where you are now? And, and I love that question because I'm going to take it at a different angle. It was actually 35 years of not having a purpose because your purpose isn't what you do. Your purpose is who you are. And I didn't find out who I really was until 35 till I went through all that stuff. Now, what I say, what a lot of people say, hey, my purpose was to make the major leagues. Well, no, that was my action. My action was to make the major leagues. But when I really look back at it and I go through all the hard work, all the determination, all those things that I went through, that was really building who I am as a real, as the person of Clay Smelter. That was owning myself. 
I was loving my story and I was living through purpose with passion because what was I really good at doing? Well, I was good at playing baseball, but what was I really good at doing on the team was pulling people together, was caring about the team, was bringing people to fight for one cause, to stand shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield on the football field or on the baseball field and say, you know what? This is our time. This is what we're going to go get. We're going to go get this thing. We're going to win. We're going to do everything that we can do. We're going to leave it all on the field. And when we're done, whether we win or whether we lose, those people are going to know we were there. And that's, that's what I did on the field. But that's what I do now. That's what I do at my house. That's what I do at, at school. So I didn't know my purpose, but a lot of people say, you know, what's your purpose is to do. My purpose is to run this company, to be an entrepreneur, to be, you know, a great dad. Let's go deeper. My purpose was to make the major leagues. That wasn't my purpose. That was an action that I was going to do. But what was the real purpose behind to build all those things? What did I really want to do when I made the major leagues and goals that I had after that? was to come back here to my hometown and around the country and build facilities to bring people together. That's what I do now. I run men's groups. That was my purpose. You know what I mean? But I didn't, I didn't clarify it then. I had an action, but I didn't have a why or a purpose behind it. No, I think that's amazing what you just said. And that kind of ties me back to even why I started this podcast in the first place. Like I went through university really valuing in-depth conversations that were personal, deep, and I felt like when I left university, there wasn't that space to have those conversations anymore. There wasn't that space to be maybe a little bit more controversial or challenger thinking a bit because in, in the workplace, it's don't talk politics, don't talk these things because you can get really divisive around those things. But I was like, I love that. I love bonding with people about why they think the way they do and how can I continue that? And that was one of the reasons why I do this podcast and started it is to have these conversations about masculinity, something I really care about with strangers or you know people like yourself who have become a to it and really want to know. I want to know your story. I want to learn more about you. And that is kind of, I guess, who I am. Like podcasting is what I do, but my passion is is the relationship building aspect of it. And I love what you said. I had to write it down, but purpose isn't what you do. It is who you are. I really thought with that question, you, you might say there was only 15 years of, of you being lost, but to say there's 35 was much, much more powerful, I think. And that really hit me hard in, in the sense of, because you, you can just, you know, gunning for the major leagues is what every young man kind of wants. And, and that's what you think your purpose is. And that makes me think how many people in the major leagues of any sport, hockey, baseball, football, soccer, actually want to be there? Like, do they actually want to be there or... Is their life really about sports? Or was that the only out that they saw? And I think my my thing with that, when you see a lot of major leagues leaguers is once they leave the league, they just lose, like, right? They lose that sense of purpose. And so what's kind of your experience on that going to, you know, college level pro sports? What is your reflection on those athletes who kind of leave their sport and then kind of just get lost and feel lost? Like, how, how do you kind of work with them through that story? I have not, but I would love to because I was in the exact same thing. I've had conversations with other guys, you know, people I've heard on different podcasts reaching out and just saying that. It, and once baseball stopped for me, my identity was that. You know, I know, I know Steve, uh, Steve Weatherford, he talks about this a lot. His identity was a lot in, in sports and stuff like that, just because that's all he knew. That's all he could do. And he could do it well. And that's where it's like back to purpose and talent. You have talent and you use your talent to play the sport. But what's the purpose behind that? And that's where you got to go deeper. And it's like, you know, for me, like I lost what I thought my purpose was at that point in time, you know, because I was Clay Smeltzer chasing the major leagues. Now, who was I? I was Clay Smeltzer college student. 
woo, yay. You know, it's just not exciting. You know what I mean? And it's like, it, it just wasn't the same. And that's where I tied my expectation to what my life should be and who I was to a thing I do instead of to a thing I, who I am. Because when I, again, when I look back at that, what did I really do as an athlete? I pulled people together. I owned everything I did on the field. I loved playing the game. I had so much respect for the game, still do. I still love playing the game. And then at the same time, I, I, living with purpose, that point in time, like I didn't, I didn't know what that was back then. So I did two of the things of my purpose of who I really am in that I had no idea I was doing it though, but I pulled people together. And once that was done, like it was baseball and that's what I associated with. And so many athletes do, especially professionally, they get to the professionals and, and there's two conundrums here. One is that they get to the major leagues or they get to any professional level and then they've made it. And now they think of that, Hey, I'm at that level. Now I can just coast and the problem is, is then you do this nosedive instead of coast because, well, you made it. You didn't keep doing the things that you needed to do to be at that level. And what makes you think that if you're at that level, you don't have to do those things anymore just because you made it. Entrepreneurs do this too. Hey, I made it. I made 100,000. I reached my goal. I can lay back. You can't do. You got to continue to keep doing the things. But then when it's done and over with, then it's like, now what do I do? Because my worth for myself, my purpose, who I am was tied to an action, a job, a talent instead of who you really are. That's where I would love to work with those guys because I know exactly where you're at. And it took me 15 years to figure that out. And I'm like, I don't want you to take 15 years, dude. I want you to do it, I want you to do it now. And do you think, like, I, I especially think what you said about you know, you hear all the time is what you did to get you where you are is not what will keep you there. You have to keep pushing further. Do you think there's like a, a maximum level of success for people in a dream? You know, like I always want people to realize that, you know, if, if you want to stop where you are and not get higher, that's fine. Like, do you tell people that, that there is a, there is a capacity or a limit to what they are okay with putting on themselves to not really reach maybe tier A, but they can be fine with tier C if that's what really makes them happy? Or is that kind of tied in with purpose? If they're happy at level C, yeah. Yeah. What what kind of what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was gonna say it, it's it's tied in with their purpose. And really what you gotta look at is what's best for you. When I help guys reveal their purpose and and then we start using it and we infusing it into their life. Some guys are like, hey, you know, let's like, I want to go share this. I want to go branch out. How do I, how do I help? How do I do this? How do I run a men's group? How do I start this? How do I put it on social media? Like about my experiences, my life, I want to share my story, you know? And it's like, okay, cool. But some guys are like, hey, listen, I know my purpose, but mine is just family. Like, I don't want to share this out. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But what do they do in there is with their family. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's family. So it all ties around what your purpose is and what's going to fulfill. We're, we're like a cup and we all have this cup. And then this cup sits on this saucer. We all have the opportunity to fill our cup up. And what we need to realize is that nobody else gets to fill our cup up, but us, we're the one who puts the stuff in. We're the one who puts the creamer. And if we need that, if it's coffee, if it's tea, if it's whatever, but everybody else around us gets the overflow. And they only get the taste from the saucer. They don't get the taste from the cup. They get the taste from the saucer. And once they taste that and you say, hey, you know, like Luke, you tasted 
a little bit of what I have in the saucer and stuff. And, and that's why we're talking today because you like that. So you're going to keep coming back, but I got to keep filling up that cup. I got to keep doing those things and having that overflow. So people can have that. And what we do is when we look at it, we got to make sure that we're always the one filling up that cup and it gets getting the overflow, but we got to fill it up with stuff that fills it up for us. I can't fill it up with what my mom and dad wanted me to do. I can't fill it up with what society wanted me to do, which I did. Mine wasn't my mom and dad. Mine was society. Mine was the American dream of go to school, get a good education, get a good job, get married, have kids. Well, I did that. It ended in divorce. Then I did it again. It ended in divorce again. And now here, you know, I'm, I'm back at a different stage, but I didn't follow those rules. And, and that's where it's like all of these pressures and things that are placed on men to do all of these different things is you got to fill it up for you. So when it comes back to purpose and what level do you think success is and how high can you go? It's all based on the quality of what you want and what fills you up. So if it fills you up, stop. If it doesn't fill it, keep going. You know what I mean? And that's where that person has to know their level of what they want. And it's easier when you really clarify and define your purpose, what you actually really want. Because when I look back at it, let's take the major leagues. Did I really want that life? Ain't no way in hell I wanted that life. It's a lot different than what a lot of people think is, but I didn't want that life. What I wanted is a life that I'm developing now. I wanted family. I wanted to be able to impact and talk with people like you. I wanted to be able to do those things. What I thought I wanted and what I actually wanted were two different after I clarified my purpose. But before that, I didn't know because I didn't know what really filled me up. And that's when, when we know what really fills our cup up and we can overflow that cup we can really understand at what level success really is to us. Cause there's a question all the time that comes like, Hey, you know, Luke, what's success to you? That's different from what I feel is success. You know what I mean? And it's different for everybody. So it's all in the level of which you feel is appropriate for you. Yeah. And uh, you talked a little bit about sharing your story. And I know you just had a, a series on LinkedIn called Shame to Sharing, which is fantastic. I definitely recommend everyone go follow Clay Smeltzer on LinkedIn and watch the series. But kind of what's your, what was your framework around it? I think you originally planned to do it five days. You're now on like, this is your second week of doing it. Or were you always planning on doing it this long? And then what's your story behind that? In our men's group, we talk about a lot of things. Aim is a big one that isolates men. And I think that's something that, that held me back for 15 years of my life. You know, I had anxiety from the time I stopped playing baseball up until 35. I still deal with it, but it's a lot different now. But up until 35, it really kind of impacted me. But I never tell, told anybody. Why? Because I was ashamed of it. Like I was ashamed that I was a product of divorce twice. Like the first time's bad enough, but then the second time, like, pfft. You know what I mean? Like I'm a statistic twice and their shame comes with that shame of not being where I wanted to be in my life, where I thought I was going to be shame of not chasing my dreams or, or, or following through with my dreams, stuff like that. Like I started because it was in our men's group that we talked about it and it, and it come, it came up in our men's group. It, it, it was a powerful, powerful conversation that we had that we continue to keep going. And because I saw men sharing there, I went to let other men know like, Hey, listen, this is something we need to do. So the first week was shame, shame to sharing is feeling that shame and then sharing. And then the second week was 
from sharing is to awareness. So when we we take our shame and we actually share it out, we're able to release those different things from it, whether, whether no matter what your shame is about. And it builds a lot of these different things. When we shame, we actually are able to connect with other people. We're able to build trust in others and with yourself. We're able to, to share stories and help people learn because listen, thousands and thousands of years, we've been sharing stories to learn. So it's all these different ways that sharing allows us to be able to own ourselves more. It's able to allow us to love our story more. And it's able to allow us to live with purpose more or know our purpose even more. So the whole reason why I did it was those three things, own yourself, love your story and live with purpose. But in reality, a lot of it was really my journey through the last couple of years of the things I've had to own. So it went from that. So it's the connection too. it's the shame, then the share. What does the sharing do? The sharing allows us to create awareness in ourselves and connect with other people. And then from that is what are tools that we can use? So this week we're actually, or this week we're actually, or last week we talked about tools that we can use as men, things that we can have. And that's kind of what our newsletter is going to be about tomorrow. Plus our topic that's going to be this coming Tuesday is about the tools that we can use as men to help us with shame, with emotion, so that we can be thought reactive instead of emotionally reactive. And that we can get better results and, you know, be more clear about ourselves, own ourselves, love our story, live with purpose and be able to step into our story and step up to lead instead of really just lying flat down or, or spinning around in a circle. So, yeah, I think that's beautiful. And I, I definitely agree that the emotion of shame is one of the most dangerous that men can feel. And I find one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently is you hold shame of things with different people. And sometimes you just have to find out what person to trust what information with to release that shame. Like I don't share a lot of the things I talk about maybe with my parents, but other things I share with my parents, I don't talk about with my friends, with my friends, I'll say things that I don't with sometimes with strangers. You know, I always find that that that's the beauty of the humans of New York Facebook page is that you can share your, your shame with a stranger. And then you find out how much compassion is actually out there for you and that thought and that pain that you always had. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize about shame is that they don't have to share it with everyone. And you know, that's the power of maybe going to therapy as a, as a man is that you can have that person that you trust to share that shame with. And that's the actual start of healing. And which I think is what you did on LinkedIn was beautiful. And what you've been talking about so far and your whole mission is, is so beautiful because it, it identifies shame as a key ingredient or getting over shame as a key ingredient in becoming healthy men. And that to me is, is one of the reasons I even wanted to start this podcast in the first place again, is that I think, you know, where men struggle with their identity is in between anger and shame. And I talk about it quite a bit and how those two things just fight each other all the time, because when you're insecure, you have shame about something and that thing gets attacked. Then that's when you get angry. Like I've had people approach me and they'll, there's some insecurity that they're projecting onto me and I attack it back and they get angry and it, but it, it helps them kind of realize it. And maybe not, maybe I try to be like nice about it and healthy about it, but I'm just like, you know, this is the pain that you're projecting onto me. I don't feel that pain. I don't feel that insecurity. I don't feel that shame. So go ahead and, and try to do it, but I'm not going to react because that, I think that's how you get thoughtful reaction. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's all about awareness is creating awareness for yourself. And then when, when I talk about owning yourself, that's talking about like owning that anger. It's talking about owning those things about yourself. Shame deals a lot of with the shadow and what I call, and, and Debbie Ford wrote a great book. It's called the uh, dark side of the light chasers. And if you haven't picked it up and you're, and you're struggling with shame and you're struggling with self 
pick it up. Now, I will tell you this for me, and not for everybody. Some people are like, dude, everything I got, it was cool. For me, some of the stuff was like super weird. I'm like, oh, I'm not really understanding this. But the premise behind it, no matter what it is, is that when you look at the things that are in your shadow, which are all the things that you shove back in your mind, especially men, men are super good at doing that, isolating things and pushing it back and, and sub, you know, categorizing things in our brains and, and putting it places where we don't want to deal with it. When you pull that stuff out, and you go to those places purposefully and you jump into those places and you look at that dude face to face, like that anxiety dude face to face. And I'm going, listen, like you have not been my friend. You have not been that person. You have totally wreaked havoc on my life, my thoughts and everything. But I love you because part of you have made me who I am right now. And part of you is going to be able to make me who I am later. And you're going to be with me but you're going to be with me in a good way and not in a bad way. You're going to be with me to help me and not be with me to take me down. And I will not allow you to do that. And you have that conversation with them and that person. And that's that shadow. And that's, that's the conversation I just had here is the conversations that I had to keep having with that anxiety piece of me, that figure I have. And it's not that it's going away, but I own it now. And it's not that it's like my, my, I don't want to say my friend or anything, but I'm with it. It's with me. And I don't shame it away. I don't push it away. And I step into it when I feel it because I still feel stuff, you know, but I step into it and I say, all right, what's this really about? And I use my, my tools and my tool shed and my toolbox to help me feel that and then move through it so I can move on. Whereas before I felt it and stopped. And that, that person kind of was like, just sat on my chest. That's really what it was. They just jumped on me knocked me down and just saddled me. And I'm like, like freaking out. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. But now it's like, Hey, listen, listen, let's go through this together. We're both here. Mm -hmm. That that reminds me, I can't remember the exact quote or story or where I'm getting this from right now, but there's something I've ever once seen or read before where it's like, everyone has a good and an evil within them. When a lot of people, what they do when they find the evils, they try to fight it and get rid of it. When what you should be doing is trying to control it and making sure that it doesn't control you, which is kind of exactly what you just said. Yeah. And that's where I do in the program that I run. One of the activities I do is like a best self, worst self. And it's really looking at those different pieces. You're looking at your best self and then you're looking at your worst self. And for me, like my worst self is wimpy wuss. And that's like, I know that picture. I have that picture in my head. I say wimpy wuss. I know he's, he's right here next to me. It's like that one on your shoulder and the other one on your shoulder, you know, and he's next to me. He's always with me. And it's where I used to try to push him away and drown him and do that. No, no, no. He's still with me. I'm not getting rid of him. Like he's, he's, Hey, listen, I'm here for you. You're here for me. Let's, let's do this mutual. I don't want to be that person is not the person that I want to be that, that person, but I, I can't just get rid of him and act like he doesn't exist. Cause he's still there. But then I have badass beast over here. And that's the dude, like for me, my picture of badass beast is like I'm like Leonidas kicking somebody, 300 kicking somebody down a well. You know what I mean? Like that badass dude, like that right there. Any situation I go into, things like that. If I'm at the gym, if I'm at work, if on here, like I'm picturing right here, who am I going to be on this? I'm going to be badass beast or wimpy wuss. Which one? All right, I'm going to be badass beast right here. And that's where it's like, that's one of the activities I do is getting people set up to have that picture and that name and that piece in there. Cause it really identifies no matter where I go, 
and something starts feeling, I start feeling stuff. I'm like, all right, do I want to be wimpy wuss or do I want to be badass beast? All right, let's go be badass beast. Let's go. No, and that's where that switch and that signal, one of those tools that we can have is to be able to move us forward instead of hinder us. And you talked a little bit about, um, you know, your experience with divorce and how you've been divorced twice. Kind of what was your background in that and how have you come out of that a better man? And, and what did you kind of realize about yourself in that process? Okay. Um, my first wife, we dated all throughout high school. Well, my, my junior and senior year. And then we ended up going to college together. And then the next step was really marriage. I mean, that was the next step. So that's kind of what we did. That's what the world told us to do. And then, you know, marriage, finally had had our daughter. And then on a Wednesday night on a red couch in 14 words was, I love you, but I'm not in love with you and I'm leaving you. And I was like, fucking awesome. That's cool. Like, you know, that was my reply. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like this, to me, it was one of the most painful things that I've ever gone through because I felt worthless. And I know a lot of men who are going to be listening to this and are out there, they won't admit that, you know, divorce sucks. It doesn't matter if you hate the person or love the person still, or it doesn't matter the situation. It just fucking blows. And uh, I apologize for swearing. No, it's, it's allowed. It's okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Cause uh, I'm a swear. Anyways, it, it sucks. It really does. And that one, basically what I describe it as is she ripped my heart out of my chest. She put a knife in there. She went down to my guts. She went the whole way across my back. She went up my spine, then back down, then back around, then back up and then just nudged it in there just to make sure she knew it was there. And I'm like, but I felt worthless. I felt worthless as a husband. I felt worthless as a man. I felt worthless as a, as a father because she didn't want to fight. So when she didn't want to fight, then it made me be like, well, why, not, why aren't I worth fighting for? And that's where a lot of that negativity came in. A lot of men don't want to say, I, I hurt because of this. They want to be big. They want to be bad. They want to be tough. Like, nah, fuck her, you know? And that's what I did at first. Screw her, this, that. It was all her fault, all her fault, all her fault. This is her. This is on you. This is this. You know, you're ruining our family because of this, this, and this. And one of the hardest thing. well, that was the hardest thing, but one of the things that I'm so grateful for, and I didn't realize it at the time, but now being who I am and going through what I've gone through and really realizing that, it took somebody who was strong enough to tell me what I needed to hear and not what I wanted to hear. And it was a life changer because I guarantee if he didn't say this, I probably wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you. I'd be just a pissed off dude throughout, you know, throughout my whole life. I never would have done what needed to be done to find me. And he called me. It was probably like, I've say two, three weeks after she sat me down and said that. So I'm walking back to the hall of my house and I get this phone call and I couldn't pick it up. So he left a message and I looked at the message and he, this was his message. Stop being a big fucking baby. Pick your ass up and move forward. Click. And I was like, I'm looking at this phone. Like you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like you get, this is what you got to tell me. Like I was so pissed. I was so pissed. I was going to drive over to his house, ring the doorbell. When he opened the door, just plop him right in the face. You know what I mean? Like that was, that's how pissed I was. But then five minutes later, I'm like, dude, you're right, man. I'm like, you're, you're absolutely right. Like all I was doing was saying her, 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 her. And I never once in that two to three weeks looked at myself 
And that's what he was telling me to do. He was telling me, dude, you need to own your shit. And I wasn't. I was blaming on her. I was being pissed. I was saying this is all about me. I was being the victim. I had the vict. I was victim mentality, period. And that's what changed me from that victim, the victor, and say, you know what? Yes, yeah, she has she has her stuff, but that's for her to figure out. But I have mine. And no matter if we're going to be together or not, it's going to be my life and my life counts. And I need to know what I did. So that's when I really dove into like relationship, reading books, getting around people, asking questions, doing those things to build me and not worry about her. And in the end, obviously it didn't work out, but there was a bunch of different things that, that went through, you know, things like that, things that I gave and I really found unconditional love then was through what I did and got no love in return. Cause I think that's a huge thing that men do. And they try to win back because we want to win the princess. And that's, that's, that's where sometimes that occurs and that's good, but you can't win the princess back or at all. If you're focused on them, you got to be focused on me because what I was trying to do originally was just trying to make her happy. And that's not my choice. Like I can't make her happy. No matter what I do, I ain't making you happy. You know what I mean? Like it's your choice whether you're happy or not. There's things I can do that maybe allow you to choose to feel that way, but in the end, it's your choice. And that's where I really learned the difference between taking care of me and trying to take care of somebody else. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that for her. And and that was one of the hardest things is to let go and to say that and say, listen, I, I can't, I can make me happy and do me, but I can't do you. And I think our pride and our egos, that's what mine was for, for divorce, was pride and ego. I didn't want it to end. I wanted to be the man that said, yeah, I fought through. We charged the hill and won. It didn't happen, man. So there's, there's where pride and ego, and you said something earlier, and I forget. You said from anger to shame. Men falling into anger, and that's ego. Then up here is Mr. Ego that says, hey, 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 man, I'm, yeah, big, bad, tough guy up here. And it's like, no, 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 no. Ego is good to kind of move you forward, but when ego takes over, that's where, that's you have that ping pong back and forth between anger and anger and shame. Exactly. And ego is, is kind of just like a cloak of your anger and shame. Like that's where a lot of it comes in. And I love, I love what you said about, you know, happiness is a choice. And I think I've been taught that my entire life and I've had people say that to me. And, you know, the way I try to live life now is more in a joyful place because i think joy is an, an overwhelming like way that you approach life and that doesn't mean you're happy all the time but you have a joyful optimistic view of it and that's more where i come from because i'm like i'm not going to be happy all the time it's impossible and i think that's something that you shared a lot too and how did like i know you talked a little bit about how you began to own your shit when it came to your divorce and you know one of the things i i've i've seen and i've read books and and you know when there's children involved a lot of the times a lot of the favor goes to the women and, and men can hold a lot of anger right in those in those instances and i want to know how like you kind of dealt with it because i know when we first connected we talked about your choice your accountability with it and there are issues in the in the system and i want to know how you work with them deal with them and and leverage that in your life and and really come from a healing process yeah and i i will say dealing with kids and money I've been run through the ringo and I have every right to be like, I used to tell people I have every right to be one pissed off dude, but I'm not because I choose not to be. 
And that's what you got to do when you go through the whole process. Listen, because I have a penis between my legs, when I walk into the court system, whether it deals with custody or deals with child support, I'm screwed, period, because it's just not in favor. Something has to be different because in the society that we work in today, it's not the same as what those rules were rules and regulations were written in, and it needs to change. But you have to go through it anyways. I had to fight for the custody of my kids. I had to fight for child support. I was paying almost $2,000 a month in child support to two different people. And my one kid did not factor into my other kid. So over three quarters of my, I was living at $972 a month, paying for three kids, an apartment, car, work, stuff like that. I was working two jobs as I'm a full-time teacher, teaching seventh grade math, but I was also working at a bar twice a week. I was also going through my, my master's program, my grad work, and I took out extra loans so I could put food on the table. I mean, we had chicken patties and, and hot dogs and mac and cheese. It was like I was back in college again, you know what I mean? Like, but I, I did that to survive. And I was in survival mode. And, and every time, like, I had to go fight. I had to go fight. I had to go fight. But, and men deal with this all the time. And, and, and no, matter, no matter what, especially, and I don't know how it is in Canada, but in the United States, man, it is so... So women centered, you know, just because the the mom gave birth means that they have more rights than I do. And it's bullshit. But I, I stood my ground and I made sure that I kept my integrity because that when it comes down to it, that's what it means. That's what it is. And and there's time. Listen, there's times I like I just wanted to blow up and I wanted to like just go off and, and say this or say that. And sometimes I did in the privacy of my own time. And sometimes I said stuff in front of my kids I shouldn't have said. You know, sometimes I messed up. Sometimes I said stuff to them to their to their mind that I shouldn't have said. But for the majority of the piece, I had to keep me. You know what I mean? I had to keep my integrity. I have a word tattooed across my chest that says honor. And that's that's important. And I had to keep that. And it's my choices of what I did a whole long way. Even though I was pissed, even though I was angry, even though I was fighting like hell, even though there's times where I just sat at my table crying, even though there was times where like I got I got this slip for rent went up over a thousand dollars. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, why? Like, I'm a good dude. I'm a good dude. I'm a good dad. I'm a good man. Why the fuck does this shit keep happening to me? And I'm getting teary eyed right now. And it's just like because I know the pain. Like, I know where I was at. I know like, and it just it sucks. And any man going through that, like, listen, like it blows, but keep your honor, keep your integrity, keep your respect for yourself. Do the things that you know are right, because later down the road, your kids are going to know that. And it doesn't matter if they ever find out or anything like that, or if they ever know, but you know, and your kids, like kids know more than anything else. Like it's the craziest thing that kids just know. It's weird, but like my kids know I've never been non-truthful. I've never broke my honor. I've never broke the respect I've had for myself. I've never done those things. I don't know if they, and and they've, we've had kind of my, my youngest is eight, my daughter's 12. And we've had conversations that were tough conversations, but they always know I stay true to me. And that might not be the same for, for the others, just from the conversation I, I've had with them. And I'm not saying, saying, saying for them. And listen, their parents are good people. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not down them at all. But I just knew I had to keep true to myself. 
the whole time. And it sucks. It is the hardest damn thing that you will do because you were so pissed and you were so bad. And it is so unfair what the system does just because I didn't give birth and it's bullshit, but it's the system. Yeah. And I, that's one of the things that I really want to change with even this podcast is is how men look at families and look at their children. Because I think for so long, when we think of like toxic masculinity, it comes back to, you know, being the breadwinner, being aggressive, not being as caregiving. You come home from your day, you just watch TV, you kind of let your wife do the house cleaning and stuff. And that system and that cultural structure now is coming back to the men who really have kind of changed a whole generation. And you're part of a generation that has really shifted that movement of being much more caregiving, much more involved in the house. You know, women have fought for their rights to work and, and split the financial activity. But a lot of times men maybe haven't so much taken up the the housework and all those those caregiving assets or aspects of, of the home as well. And what I want to do is help men show that side, you know, that the, the, things are changing, you're changing it. And I think once that happens, it's like what you said, when it comes to a lot of court things, you know, I've read books about, you know, rape accusations and all these things. And all these systems are set up in like 1700s, 1800s, when it was just a completely different time, a completely different aspect. And now those social structures that women really want men to grow up and be part of and be more caregiving is now biting them in the ass when it comes to divorce. And that's one of the things I always tell people is if I was to get rid of one thing in the world, it'd be unhappy families. You know, not to say that it's divorced, like, you know, there's no divorces, divorces aren't possible, just raising your children in a loving home. Because I've talked to friends and they're like, I remember the, my parents' divorce and I was five. And we th often think like, okay, that time frame, it's not going to affect them that much, but they can specifically remember that vivid thing that broke up their home and they can feel part of it and it stays with them for so long. I'm like unhappy families. I just want kids raised in a healthy, happy environment so that things like this don't happen. Things like these don't exist. And I really value you for what you're saying about, you know, how you, you took up accountability. You, you hate it. And I think that hate for the system and the court needs to be shown. It needs to be shown from a safe place. So I really value you for, for sharing that. And I definitely wanted to, to, to talk about that with you. Absolutely. And I think that's so important because I know there, there's literally probably millions of guys who are either going to listen to this or hear this that go through it and don't have any outlet for it. But I want you to know, like, I'm here, I've been there. Like, I know that feel, I like, I know that anger towards it, but in the end, you got to make the choices that are, that are for you and don't allow that to overtake. Cause that's what happens. We allow it to overtake. They're like, fuck it. We're done. And it's like, you can't, your kids are too important for that, you know, and stuff like that. So keep fighting, but it's going to suck for, for probably a while. But Keep doing what you do because when it all comes down to it, your kids know what you did. I don't have to say, like, they just know. And the relationship that I have with my daughter's 12 now that I have is it's incredible, you know, and that's, that's where knowing, looking at her now and what we have now, I did that then for now. She's 12. So that was 10 years ago with her mom, but then a second divorce was even there. So that was eight years, eight, eight, eight nine, no seven years ago, right now, seven years ago with the second divorce. But knowing what I did then to now, that that's the biggest thing. It doesn't happen right away. We want it. We were impatient. Men are impatient. It ain't going to happen right now. But stay true to yourself.
Don't ever lose you. And that's kind of part of your legacy, the then and now that you, you alluded to earlier. And going back to what you talked about earlier in your first answer to the first question was talking about the version of the man or meeting the version of the man you are in the future. And I really want you to touch back on that because when we first connected, there were some really beautiful things that you discussed. And I thought it was a beautiful image of, you know, shaking your hand at the heaven's gate and recognizing him because that's who you were. And I really wanted you to kind of go into that in a little bit more detail about how we can strive to be the man we want to be, but also having that foresight to look into the future, to know the man that we want to be, then looking back and saying, I'm not there yet. Yeah. For me, it's really changed a lot of my life and aspect over the past two years. So when I found my purpose, I started to, I had to figure out how to put that into my life and infuse that into things that I did. Once I started doing that, I really was able to come to a clarity and take away the fog in the lenses of my life so that I can see clearly. After that, then it's as you see clearly and you start flowing through your life and you're building this and you're putting this purpose into everything you do, you know, family, work, career, all that kind of stuff. Then these new energies, these things come about. And when I was younger, I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in God till I was an adult. And I'm like, dude, like something, there's, there's so many things that have gone on that I can't stay there coincidences. And no matter your view or anybody else's view, here's my view. My view is that there's something else out there, whether we die and end up finding out it's a giant flying squirrel in the sky or something like that. I don't have a clue, but when I die, I'll figure it out. But what I do, what I do believe, and, and I'm going to give Ed Milet credit for this is in his book, hashtag max out. He described, and, and this is kind of where I, I've taken what he said and kind of formed it into my own. When I die, I know I'm going to go meet whoever it is that's out there. I'm going to finally figure out like, hey, this dude is real or this girl's real or this whatever is real. Like this is real. But I'm, before I meet them, what I'm going to do is before I walk through that gate, and I'm, you know, I'm picturing this gate here and there's a guy standing outside of this gate, but that guy is me. And it's good. It's and it's that guy. I'm gonna to have to go shake that guy's hand before I walk through the gate and meet meet my maker. And that guy is gonna be the man that I was meant to be and designed to be. And when I shake that dude's hand, I want to know who that dude is, or I want to recognize that guy. I don't want to shake his hand and be like, "Who the hell are you?" I want to do what is necessary on this earth with my body here and what I have access to here, so that I can be that version of the man I was meant to be. So I can shake his hand and be like, dude, I know you like, yes. Like give me a big old hug, chest pound, battle back, all that kind of stuff. And then he'll be like, dude, thank you for striving and being what you were meant to be on earth. God gave you an opportunity to do with your life, what you wanted to do with it. And you used it to be, to, to try to be the version that you were meant and designed to be. So thank you. And and it, and really, that's kind of going to be it. So like, for me, as I go through my life now, and I look at my purpose, owe myself, love my story and live with purpose, is every day, how can I strive to be that man that I think is going to be there that I'm going to shake his hand? And I, I will be honest with you, I have no clue who exactly who that is. But I have an idea, you know what I mean? And I'm moving forward towards it. But I guarantee you, I'm going to do the work and put the work in here and I'm going to leave it on the field to make sure that I shake his hand. I'm like, dude, I know you. I love you, man. Instead. And that comes back to love owning yourself. Loving your story is, is loving my stories. I love that dude. 
And, and after reading that really pulled everything in together for me and, and it's in everything I do, you know, it's, it's, it's here with you. You know, it's going to be here with my kids. It's going to be here with my wife. It's going to be at school. It's going to be coaching baseball. It's going to be coaching my clients and in our men's group. And it's just, man, dude, I just think about that dude. I'm like, dude, that dude gets me jacked up. I'm ready to go bust like uh, whatever. Yeah. No, I think that's one of the most beautiful imageries I've, or images I've ever talked about with someone it is just having like it just takes so much foresight to think about who you want to be in the future but then thinking of him as looking different whether that's in a physical sense or a emotional sense like a spiritual sense but just recognizing who that is as you or you know the the, the fullest version of who you were meant to be and that scares me that's it ties into legacy again it ties into everything that you said is if i show up and my entire life purpose and my entire idea of, of the perfect man that I could be is something far greater than I ever was. That would be my biggest regret ever, I think. You wouldn't even potentially know if it's a regret because you wouldn't recognize that person. But your future, you would regret that, right? Like the imagery behind it just makes me, confuses me almost to the, to the very core. But I just think it's so meaningful and impactful of an image. And, that, and that's where it is like, I don't know exactly what he looks like. Right now, he looks like me like this, you know what I mean? But it, I know it's not going to be. And, and who is he actually really, really supposed to be? I don't know. You know, for me, there's a crystal ball effect. We all have this idea of what our life should be. Well, when it gets to the down the road and whether it's you're in your thirties or what my forties are going to be, or what my fifties are going to be, or what, whatever it is going to be, it's always going to be different than what you think it's going to be. So the crystal ball never is real. It never is. It. But we have this idea of what it's going to be. So when we look at that, and we get to that point, it's either going to be better or it's going to be worse. It's all up to your choice. It's all up to you because it's the beast that you feed more. If you feed the worst beast more, it's going to be that. If you feed the best beast more, it's going to be that. You know. So when we look at this, I and this is where it's like this image of, of what I have is, is me right now, but I can see that standing tall, but it comes back to, and I just said it to you here today, which I've never said before, is that I want to look at that dude, shake his hand, wrap my arms around and be like, dude, I love you. And I, I want him to say, man, I love you too, man. It just thank you for reaching to be the man that you were meant to be. And to me, that's like, I don't know what that dude's going to look like, but I want to love that dude. Like, I just want to walk up and feel that from him. And that's, that's really for your conversation and I, for you asking me that question, I thank you very much. That just came right now. So that's, that's like epiphany right here. So thank you, man. This is awesome. I, man, I love when epiphanies happen. Whenever there's something like very specific to a person, I always love to have them share it. Like I had a friend who wanted to recite a poem on the on the podcast. I'm like, sure, that makes it very unique to your story. And this makes it very unique to your story. And I, I always find it very interesting. You know, the more people talk about my podcast or people I, I share my ideas with, there are new ideas that come from it because, you know, talking with you, um, I think your episode like 23 or 24, but there's so much, so many things I've learned in the first 22 that have now changed my perspective on masculinity as, as and, and like, you know, like those, these epiphanies keep happening where we can feel like they're happening. We can feel like we're still learning our story. Like the one thing I, I want people to always realize is our story never stops. And if you, the moment you think it stops, you, you've lost like that to me is, is everything. Like I have so much more dreams of things I want to create in the future. And if I settle on this, 
I know I'll, I'll regret it. I'll know I'll be disappointed because there's so many different mediums I want to communicate this message to in so many different ways. Like I want to go into movie writing. I want to go into stand-up comedy about like the same topic, but I want to share it in different ways and different strategies and, and see what hits the most. And so I think there's always moments for epiphany. And so I'm glad that you mentioned that you had an epiphany because I think it just shows how much value that can happen just out of conversations with people. As we're about to go into self-isolation, I know this might be after self-isolation because COVID might be gone, but as you go into that, I want people to work on themselves, you know, like still have these conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's so cool. That's, that's the one thing, like I just had a, a um, talk with one of, one of my buddies and we, we view guns differently, you know, and things like that and gun safety and all that, that whole gun political talk. But when you have conversations with people for understanding rather than, Hey, I'm going to attack and attack and attack, like it's okay. Like we're, we're on different sides, but we came to learning. Like I learned about him. I learned about me. We got like, now we have a better understanding and we actually met in the middle and be like, dude, we're actually, we're all here for the same reason. Like what you want and what I want are the same thing. We want gun violence. We want to help that. How can we help gun violence? Now we, we think two different ways about it, but basically we have the same fear, but when you just what you said, when people have conversations and they have open and it's to first understand before judgment, understand you shouldn't judge anyway. It's just because you, dude, if you like what you like, you like what you like. I, you know what I mean? Like, cool. But when we understand and we communicate with each other and we have open communication, then we do we get so much more accomplished. And especially men, and I'm not that this is I'm not downgrading women at all. They do they kick ass like nobody's business. But when men get together and have conversations that men need to have about shit that men go through, shit gets done. When you got a whole bunch of men that are put together and you're all together, boom. And that's kind of like what I want, like the conversations we have with the men's group. My goal is to get 100 men this year, by the end of this year, together in our men's group so we can really go impact a shit ton of people. And that's what, that's why. Because we can open communication, we can have those conversations, we can have epiphanies like I just did and say, dude, I just want to love, I want that dude, I want to love that dude, and I want that dude to love me. And like all of those conversations that we can have. And we don't have to agree. We don't, all of us don't agree in our men, in the men's group, but we all have conversations for understanding. And it's like, oh, now I get it. Okay, cool. I might not agree with it still, but I still get it. I still love you. I still support you. Dude, I will stand shoulder to shoulder with you and shield the shield with you. And we will go to war together, buddy. But I still don't agree with this on your topic, or I have more understanding with you on this topic, you know? Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause I was just having this conversation with someone the other day too, about how, what I just don't understand about politics in general is that when you attack someone for the opinion that they have, you're not going to get them on your side more than you like, it's more unlikely than if you just try to sit down and have a meaningful conversation where you try to understand them. And to me, so many conversations in politics could be just settled by understanding that we both want the same solution. We just go about it in different ways and you have to compromise on different things. It's not nearly as divisive as it has to be, but divisiveness sells. Divisiveness gets views. Divisiveness gets people to vote for you more passionately and follow you more passionately. That's why you have, you know, typically very charismatic people as leaders because they understand that you need very passionate followers. You know, they're, the passionate followers are usually the minimum, but they're normally the loudest and can get you the most votes or the most, you know, press. It's the flash. It's the flash. It's the flash and the bang. And I think, you know, that's why I love having conversations one-on-one -on -one because there's a lot less groupthink. There's a lot less 
fear of, of even expressing yourself in the way you actually feel. You know, one-on-one versus 1v2 is a huge difference. And if you're one versus five with an opinion, then it's even worse. So people often settle into this groupthink mentality. But when you break people down into one-on-one, they actually oftentimes feel a lot of the same ways. But in, in public forums, they they actually feel a lot more guilty about their ideas. They don't want to say it. And I'll, I've always been someone that's like, I will say it. And knowing that I say it, I'm no- normally, if you think a room's split like 90, 10, if you say it, it's probably more split 60, 40. And like, you have a lot more leg to stand on that way. And that's something I've always realized about humanity and humans as a whole is we're very divisive when we shouldn't be. And a lot more people actually think the way you do than you think. And and that, and that's what we're finding out uh, is in our men's group, the more people that we that come into our men's group, it's so cool. So we're all works of life. We're all income levels. We're all backgrounds. We're all like everything, you know, and it's so cool. Cause like, like David, he is an openly gay man from San Francisco who like coming in was very, everybody else is, is a straight man. And he was very reluctant. I guess that would be the word because he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to be understood, but like, dude, like I love David. Like he's awesome, man. And like we just, it, he, him and I were the one who actually had the gun conversation about that. And it's like, dude, we can have it. And it's like so, so much clarity from everybody. And just because, you know, he's a gay man and I'm a straight man doesn't mean we don't go through the same stuff. It doesn't mean we don't feel the same things. It doesn't mean that we don't have the same struggles. And it's like, you know, sure, his struggles, some of the things that he went through, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel the depth of it, but I can understand him. And it's so cool. Like, I mean, just him being in the first, the first day he was in another one of our, our, our members talked about a situation that had to do with a relationship and stuff like that. And he was able to bring so much clarity to it because of his background and who, who he is and, and being openly gay and, and proud, you know what I mean? And that's awesome. It's like, dude, that's what we want. We want for that. We want social economic. We got everybody from really high people who are high achieving to people who our, our workers, you know what I mean? And that's where it's like all this diversity that comes in, in the end, we're all men. People don't know that because there is so much division until you get into a group. And then, and what you're saying is some people don't want to talk, but we found that in our, everybody talks like nobody's not afraid to say anything because it's like, dude, I got your back, man. It's okay. And, and we've had really tough, hard conversations with each other, but it's so cool because it always comes down on the other side Dude, we're better people for it. And that's what it's about. Can you have a conversation that may be hard, that may be easy, but no matter what, can you come out a better man on the other side and be able to step into your story and step up to lead yourself, your family, your life, your career, your community? Can you do those? And that, that's the whole that's the whole goal. Yeah. No, I think that's beautiful. And, um, you know, kind of to tie this all together, we'll go into the last three questions now. We haven't talked too much about your relationship with your father, but, you know, the last question, one of the three last questions always have to tie into that theme. So what is one piece of advice that your father or, you know, another important male figure gave you that you live by every day? Um, I, I am fortunate to have a dad that he's kick ass. Like, I love my dad. Like, you know, you know, we get off the phone. I'm like, dude, I love you. I love you, pop. And he's like, love you, too. Like I have so much respect for my dad. I don't like everything he does, but I have so much respect for him and what he taught me. One of the biggest things that he always taught me, and he was my dad, 
but he was also my football and baseball coach throughout my whole high school career. And on the field, I still remember the first time I called him dad on the football field, I ran to a puke. And I'm like, that's the last time I called him dad on the field. So we had this, if I was at practice, I wasn't his son. I was, I was another player on the team, but he always told our guys, the whole team, no matter it was football or baseball, he stood us along the sidelines and he said, gentlemen, because you see this line here, he goes, when you step across this line, you give everything that you got. And he goes, you leave it all on the field. And when you step off, you can know that you left it all in the field. And when you lay your head down, you can be proud. And that's what I expect out of you every day. So the greatest advice is every day when you put your foot on the foot on the ground out of bed, that's your line. You better leave it all on the field today. That's one of the biggest things that my dad ever taught me, no matter what day it is, leave it all on the field. Cause listen, I'll be honest with every single person that's listened to this and you and me, this may be my last one. I don't know. I might not wake up tomorrow, but if it is, I left it all. When I lay my head down tonight, I know I'm going to leave it all on the field today. Beautiful. I think that's a really important one too. And, and that's one that a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, and I think this, this current, this situation that we're in has made it, people realize that they could die any day, right? Like it's, it's unprecedented, very weird situation that the world's going through right now with, with coronavirus and COVID-19 and you know, I, I read um, something today, just, and it doesn't really have much to do with death, but, you know, over the next two weeks, a lot of people will be working from home. They'll have a lot more time on their hands. How are you going to leverage that? If you're, if you know, you're unhappy in the current job that you're in, how are you going to leverage that to either create a new life for you with all this, with this extra time? Are you going to take advantage of it? Are there, are you going to work on your passion projects that you haven't had time for? This could be a blessing in disguise for a lot of people who are unhappy in their career, in their everyday life. This is a great time to find that like vision own your story, you know, like all of that, that you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm planning to do with my next two weeks. I'm going to have a lot more time on my hands and, and it's giving me a lot more opportunity to do podcasts like this now too, because everyone's going to be self-isolated. But question two, what is one piece of advice that you wish your father or an important male figure gave you? I would think more, more what not to do. Like, well, actually I, I wish you would have given me more to share more, although we did, but to really step out, you know what I mean? Like, and, and he shared, and, and if you talk to any of the guys on the football team, baseball, like my dad was the dude to go to and he did share, but at the same time, I think it was more of really owning who I am period and sharing that out more than he did. He did a little bit, but I I think I wish he would have, would have kind of did that. Say no, you need to like, you need to put it out there. And it's okay to put it out there instead of maybe being, he came from a time of uh, tough uh, and um, being able to be a little bit more vulnerable, I guess what I would say. Beautiful. And the last question is what is one piece of advice you want to pass down to future generations or your kids? That advice is very simple. You need to own your shit. You need to love your story and you need to live with purpose, but you got to find it and you need to go do the work to find it. Because we got one life on this big ball of mud and, and my greatest fear is to get to the end of my days and realize I wasted the whole damn thing. And I know that's probably a whole bunch. And that's probably, like you said, now with the situation we're in, we're probably a lot more people right now are sitting here doing that. And you really got to think, like, what is my purpose? What am I here? Not what I do, but who I am. Who is Clay Smelzer? Who is Luke? Like if you're sitting here and you're listening to this, who are you? How can you write that in one sentence to define exactly who you are? And then how can you take the rest of your life and go live by that? 
That's what I want you to ask and, and reach out either to me or somebody else to help you find it out. Cause dude, it's a journey. It is a journey, a journey, a journey that is really from hell to back. Cause you got to tackle your whole you, man. It ain't just like, Oh, I could just wake up and know it. Dude, you got to go deep and you got to go deeper. And then you got to go deep a little bit more. And you're like, Oh shit, I didn't know this stuff was here, but that's where you will find so much more clarity. You will wake up every single day and know why you are here. You can set intention for your day so that when you're done with your day and you're like, dude, I know why I was here today. And if today is my last day and I don't wake up tomorrow, I know damn well I left it all in the field. Beautiful. I love how all those answers tie in together. So that's great. And then lastly, you know, closing it off by uh, where can people find you, what you got going on in your life and uh, anything that you want to promote. Now's your time. Oh, awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to be able to sit down and talk with me today. I really do. And uh, I just love these conversations. And And I have a lot of them on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, Clay Smelter. You can find me at, on Instagram, Clay Smelter, Clay underscore Smelter. You can find me on Facebook, Clay Smelter. Uh, they're also purpose-infused coaching. In our men's group, we have a private Facebook men's group. It's called Purpose Infused Men. You can do that. If you like what you hear here, I have a newsletter that comes out every single Monday. My email is purposeinfusedcoaching.com or not .com, sorry, purposeinfusedcoaching at gmail.com. So you can email me and just say, hey, I'd love to subscribe to your newsletter. And then I'll put you on that list too. We also do men's group every Tuesday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We jump on there and we just let we just let it rip. Uh, and you can go to purposeinfusedcoaching.com as well, uh, where you can find me uh, there. And just yeah, that'll give you a little bit of information. That's going to be revamped here soon. That's actually what I'm working on. on my two weeks off here uh, is going to be doing that. So, but yeah, man, we're I'm just here to help people find their purpose, own themselves, love their story, and live with purpose because I, I know what it's done for me, and I know what it's done for the men that I've already helped. We need a lot more men around the world stepping into their story and stepping up to lead because when you lead you, everybody else is positively impacted because of you. Beautiful. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. This has been one of my favorite recordings so far. I just think there's so much wisdom in, in both my pre-call with, with Clay and now this recording, and I hope you get a lot out of it too. So thank you, Clay, so much for being here. Really enjoyed it and uh, have a lovely rest of your night, man. Me too. My pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of Imperfect with Clay Smelter. You can find him on his website, purposeinfusedcoaching.com, on Facebook at Purpose Infused Coaching, on LinkedIn at Clayton Smelter, and on Instagram at Clay underscore Smelter. I really like this episode with a few takeaways there. If you really enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It does a lot for the show and getting it recognized. And uh, I'll see you all again on Friday for Follow Up Friday. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Matt McClelland, for editing this episode. He's the audio mixer engineer behind all this great voice and audio that you're hearing. So shout out to him. But uh, I look forward to the next episode.